It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, November 22nd, 2017, and you're listening to God and Comics, the show that, much like Thanksgiving turkey, is stuffed full of goodness. On today's show, friendship. We'll discuss how comics have portrayed friendship over the years and what, if anything, the medium of comics can tell us about what friendship is. Plus, we'll have our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Jonathan Michikin. I am assistant chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm from St. George's, Schenectady, New York. And also on the line today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm from Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Wonderful. Good to see you guys. And we'll we'll get straight into our recommendation. And uh, I have the recommendation this week. And I want to start by asking you guys a question. Did either of you read the Hardy Boys books when you were kids? Were either of no. you fans of that? No? I can't say that I did. I, I may have read one or two of them when I was younger. Yeah, not religiously. Interesting. <laughs> Well, so I, I was a big Hardy Boys reader probably around the fourth or fifth grade for a little while. If you're not f- familiar with the Hardy Boys, of course, this is a series of mystery stories about two young boys that go back to the late 20s. It was when they first started writing them, and they wrote them all the way up into the 80s, really, uh, under the pen name of Franklin W. Dixon, who's not a real person. It was just the company came up with the, the name and they had a bunch of different ghostwriters for it. Similarly, uh, there were the Nancy Drew books that started about the same time with the same publisher under the name Carolyn Keene. Again, there was never any Carolyn Keene. They just had different writers do it. But basically, these were just mystery stories about kids. Uh, Nancy Drew was a kid. The Hardy Boys were these two brothers and they were kids and they solved mysteries on sort of a kid level. Um, and so these books are sort of like, they're popcorn, uh, they're, they're easy to read, each chapter ends with a cliffhanger so that you got to start the next chapter uh, to keep going with it. They're good books for early readers, you know, get people reading, get kids reading. Well, they've ha- recently had the comic book treatment for, I believe, the first time, and Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys actually have come together for a book called The Big Lie, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, The Big Lie from Dynamite. And the trade paperback of this is about to come out on November the 28th. It was a six-issue run. Uh, And I highly, highly recommend this, whether you were a fan of those books or not. Um, And the reason is because they're very different from the books that I I remember reading as a kid. uh, This is The Big Lie is by Anthony Del Cole, who some folks may know from a, a book on I, from IDW called Kill Shakespeare. And then the art is by Werther Deladera. This is a grown-up set of the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. This is them as, as adults in their 20s. And this is a hard, uh, noir mystery story. Frank and Joe Hardy, their father, who was a police detective, has been murdered... And they are the, the chief suspects when the thing begins. Um, they think maybe one, of, one or the other or both of them were involved in it. So the two brothers reach out to their old friend, Nancy Drew, who is this kind of uh, you know, gen- young genius sort of figure, 
uh, to help them figure out what to do to find out who the real killer is. And she helps them basically kind of go undercover and infiltrate a gang network operating in, in Bayport, the town where they live in. You know, it's a crazy mystery story that leads in all sorts of different directions. It's drawn really well. It's a, sto- it's a style of art that I'm not usually super excited about, this sort of pointed art style, but it works, you know, with lots of brush strokes. But it works really well with this story. There's a lot of use of shadow and light, which makes it feel like a noir uh, kind of film almost. And it's so it's it's a very adult book, and by that I don't mean what people usually mean when they say that. Oh, well, it's like a lot of sex and violence. It, it, there's some violence in it, although I don't think it's it's anywhere near as violent as as a lot of comic books are now. And it's it's not you know there's not sex or titillation or anything like that. It's just that it's very psychological. It really delves into who these folks are. There's a lot of tension in it, uh, especially between the brothers as they kind of come to grips with finding out who they are, who their father is. So it's a good story about family dynamics. It's also a good story about friendship, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to recommend it today. Um, The kind of friendship between the brothers as brothers, the friendship between them and and Nancy, and, and how all of that sort of plays itself out. And it's just a great mystery story, and I love a good mystery. So uh, I highly recommend it. Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, The Big Lie. And now a word from our sponsors. Gotten Comics is proud to be sponsored by The Living Church. For over 139 years, The Living Church magazine has been providing news, commentary, and analysis to members of the Episcopal Church. Today, TLC continues that mission and also provides theological reflection on books, music, art, and even popular culture through the magazine and through the Covenant blog. And TLC isn't just for Episcopalians, as I well know. TLC covers the whole of the Anglican Communion and beyond, building relationships between communion-minded Christians of all stripes and denominations. As the masthead of the magazine says, the Living Church's goal is to be truly Catholic, evangelical and ecumenical be sure to go to livingchurch.org to find out more well that brings us to our main conversation today on the topic of friendship and joining us to talk about that is our special guest this week dr wesley hill dr hill is assistant professor of biblical studies at trinity school for ministry in ambridge pennsylvania His books include Washed and Waiting, Paul and the Trinity, and most notably for our purposes today, Spiritual Friendship. Welcome, Wes, to the program. It's my pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here. Now, uh, I always ask people this, at least the first time that they come on the program, and I know uh, for you, we're we're kind of bringing you in to to lend some of your your expertise on thinking about friendship, but I'll ask you this question anyway. Do you have much of a a background with comic books or with with that particular medium, or what's what's your sort of entry point to it? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I wish I had more. I I certainly, like a lot of people, enjoy comic book films and I suppose maybe my first exposure was watching the old Adam West Batman uh, show when I was a kid. 
which I think was airing on maybe Nickelodeon at the time, but um, I was enthralled and went as Batman for Halloween several years. And when I was in grad school, uh, I had a good friend who was a subscriber to comics, and I didn't even know you could do that. So I went down to uh, the comic book shop and and sort of played with that for a while. I subscribed to uh, a set of Spider-Man comics, and and I got into graphic novels uh, for a while. I I think that uh, Blankets by Craig Thompson got me into graphic novels. So, yeah, I'm sort of an amateur. I, I'm sort of an armchair enthusiast, I suppose, but uh, I, don't, I don't pretend to the lofty knowledge of this crew. Well, that, but that's good. I mean, that's uh, you, you got a good start there. And, hey, uh, if you want to get into comics, we can help you with that. I've we're, come to the right place. We're that. very good at that. Let's talk for a minute about friendship just as a, as a topic. Um, before we get into talking about friendship in comics, let's talk a little more generally about friendship. And Wes, you, you've done a lot of thinking about friendship, you know, both in, in terms of when you wrote your book, Spiritual Friendship, and I think kind of just going around that, the idea of how do we think about friendship as a spiritual category? How do we think about it? You know, especially I think in, in our day and age when it's viewed maybe with a little bit less seriousness or reverence than it might might have been at certain points in the past. I think you're right that uh, there's a sense in which it has been kind of devalued maybe in our culture. I mean, I, I was, I was pointing out to some folks recently, just think about how the word friend has become a verb. Uh, maybe, maybe even mostly in most of our minds because of Facebook. You know, I go and friend someone or unfriend someone. I have a friend who cheekily says, uh, "Someone or a friend is someone you annoy with Farmville uh, on Facebook." <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, uh, the concept has maybe been cheapened a little bit. And I think, I mean, more seriously, I think a lot of people long for it, but they find it elusive. You know, it, it feels hard to come by in our society, maybe because of excessive busyness or the way we're, we all tend to move a lot. Or, um, you know, in, in a lot of masculine culture, you can sort of be ashamed to admit your, your desire for friendship. So I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of cultural factors that are putting pressure on friendship and making it sort of harder to come by, maybe, in some ways. Um, so I was concerned about all of that. I, I, uh, um, I'm concerned about it as a Christian, and I'm concerned about it, you know, kind of out of my life circumstances. I'm single by choice. And I think that that makes me think about, you know, what are the relationships that are going to be uh, nurturing for me? You know, how am I going to uh, find real significant intimacy in life if I'm not married, if I don't have children? So friendship is, has been something I've come to care a lot about out of those kinds of reasons. And, and basically, I mean, I'll put my, my book in a brief sentence. I can sum it up in a sentence. I would say uh, friendship is a form of love that is meant to be deeply loyal, deeply intimate, and it's actually been celebrated and honored as such in church history. And it's only been in very recent times that we've forgotten that heritage, that we've sort of let friendship be neglected compared to what it has been in the history of of Christianity. So my book is kind of trying to do some rediscovery and and celebrate something that we've we've allowed to be neglected. Now, you you take... 
issue with something that that C.S. Lewis says when he talks about friendship, or at least maybe take issue is too strong a way of putting it, but had uh, some different ways of thinking about it, I guess. Lewis talks about friendship being this kind of pure thing because it doesn't require the same kind of level of, of promises of other types of relationships. And he has this image of two people standing side by side and so the friendship is less about the two of them looking at each other than it is about them going fishing or bowling or uh you know uh, whatever it is that they're doing together or reading comic books together um but uh uh, you you uh prefer the image of of all red i think right or am am i am i yeah i know i think i think that's right i mean i I think lewis um you know he has this kind of poignant place in his in his essay on friendship he wrote an essay on friendship as part of his book before loves and there's this part where he he kind of admits that he has really close friendships with people whose families he doesn't know much about you know whose uh personal lives he doesn't know much about and he he kind of celebrates that he says isn't that the cool thing about friendship that you can actually have uh, a friendship that's about a shared hobby or a shared interest and you actually don't have to get you know, involved in all the kind of personal trappings of someone's life. And he, he even says at one point, he says, you, you're, you're always prepared to lend money to a friend, but you never want to talk about it uh, because that would, that would damage the nature of the friendship. The friendship's about something else. It's about something that you share together. And, uh, you know, you may know a few personal details about your friend, but that's not important. That's not what the friendship really is. And, you know, I mean, I, th- I certainly think there's a grain of truth in that. I think that we've all probably seen friendships that became codependent or became kind of obsessive and I think that's what Lewis is worried about he wants us to be able to have a friendship be about something other than just itself you know other than just the relationship but I think that you're right in the book I sort of contrast what Lewis says with uh, this this figure that I've come to really admire Aylred of Riveau. Uh he was a 12th century abbot of a monastery in the north of England Rivo Abbey um, he was sort of called the St. Bernard of the north of England. Um, he was he was a, a, a monk who, who, who became an abbot. And um, Elred uh, was one of the very, he's one of the only people in the history of the church to actually write extensively about friendship. He wrote a book called Spiritual Friendship. And he basically said, your friend is someone that you have no qualms about entrusting your heart and all of its contents to that person. That's what friendship is. It's not just about a shared love of comics or, or, or good beer or, you know, whatever else or bowling or, but it, it's something where you're, you're loyal to one another. You, you come to know one another intimately and he sort of borrows some of the ancient ideas about, uh, you know, friends are one soul in two bodies. You know, there's this mingling of souls and this a friend is someone with whom you can, you can open up your heart. And I just think that's a that's an important supplement for me to what Lewis says, or maybe even corrective to what Lewis says. That friendship can be this really quite intimate relationship, even if it isn't a sexual or romantic relationship. Probably see some good examples of that um, in the scriptures with David and Jonathan, right? I mean, that's one of the preeminent uh, types of yeah. friend, spiritual friendships that exist in the scripture. Absolutely. And I, you know, there's a beautiful sermon by um, John Henry Newman where uh, he talks about how even our Lord had close friends. You know, I, I mean, we think of our Lord having disciples, which is true, but he 
also had this special relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, you know, Newman says in the sermon, this is where we see our Lord's humanity. He was fully yeah. human. Uh, he had an intimate uh, friendship with these people. And, and he was so close to them that when Lazarus died and he saw the grief of Mary and Martha, he was weeping over it. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I think it's all through Scripture. I find that, you know, most of my more intimate uh, friendships are the ones that I had when I was a kid, you know, that, that go back that long. And, um, you know, I, I mean, even hearing you speak about friendship, yeah, you know, there's a sense in which, uh, you know, there, there is a longing to be able to connect with other people mm. in, 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 in that kind of intimate way. And I just find it much harder I don't know, after my 20s, maybe, or, yeah. you know, maybe yeah. maybe 30 was the line, I, or maybe, but maybe it was before that, but um, I don't connect with, with, with people on that deep level like I, like I used to, and, and, I, and I think maybe it's because our lives are busy, like you said, you know, you know I'm, or maybe it's because I'm married now, and I have kids, and that's where my kind of energy is, is, is connected, but um, I, I think Part of the way we develop friendship is just spending just lots of unstructured time together. And yes. past, you know, 25, you know, or whatever, past the time when you're hanging out in each other's dorm room or, or, or you know, or playing Legos on your bedroom floor, we don't, we don't really have that opportunity to, to, to spend that kind of time with other people as much. It's sort of like, oh, well, we're, we're going to get together. We're going to do something. We're going to go to a concert. You know, we're going to go have a couple of drinks. I find it a struggle as, a, as, a, as an adult <laughs> to make friends, and maybe especially an adult in ministry, where it's like yeah. most of my friends are, most of the people that I spend my time with are my parishioners. <laughs> Or my staff, even, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, it makes me think of, there's that film, Stand By Me, which was based on the Stephen King oh, yeah. show, The Body. And one of the last lines of the film, you know, Richard Dreyfuss uh, is, is typing out the story on his computer, and he, he says, um, you know, uh, does anyone ever have friends like they had when they were 12 years old? He says, you know, I don't, I don't think I have. And, 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 and it's it's really poignant because it's come at the very end of this movie where this group of boys has shared this really kind of traumatic and, uh, you know, bonding experience. And, and there's, you know, it's, it's very hard to replicate that as we get older, as we have more commitments. But I think what I'm trying to say is that we ought to, I mean, there's, there's no way we can engineer friendship, but I think we ought to prioritize it more in our lives. We ought to, we ought to become the kind of people who, who have habits and, you know, postures that would that would better place us to to deepen our friendships. You know, I don't I don't think we should be content with just having a bunch of casual relationships. You know, all of us need uh, at least one or two uh, people in our lives that we can go really deep with and and be really honest with. I think I had thousands of Facebook friends. <laughs> <laughs> You're so famous, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> except what he doesn't know is that 500 of them are one guy in a basement somewhere. <laughs> uh, and that guy's name is Father Kyle Tomlin. <laughs> <laughs> I've friended you 500 times. <laughs> right. Wes, 
let me ask you based on sort of the way that you're that you've sort of laid this out which i by the way i really appreciate i've uh, often thought that friendship was a topic that needed some much more serious theological reflection than it's gotten in modern times so I, I appreciate the way that you that you tackle this and the importance of it and the importance of it as a kind of intimacy that is different from other kinds and so uh you know single people absolutely need the intimacy of friendships married people need the intimacy yes. of friendships people whose primary relationships are with family you know the, their primary relationship is as a parent or as a caretaker or as an uncle or as an aunt or whatever also need friendship but so then the question that comes to my mind is what is the difference then between the intimacy of friendship and the intimacy of marriage besides the obviousness of physical intimacy or sexual intimacy is there some other difference to the kind of spiritual or emotional intimacy that friends share and the kind that uh, married people would share or say like a mother and a son or a you know brother and a sister would share I think the classic Christian answer to that would be that marriage is a it's, it's a uniquely fruitful human relationship. I mean, I, I go back to Augustine here. You know, there 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 are three goods of marriage. There's there's procreation, there's fidelity, you know, exclusivity and permanence, and there's sacrament. You know, mar- marriage is a vehicle that God uses to show the world Christ's love for the church. There's a kind of specialness there's a uniqueness to marriage that that shouldn't be i think confused with friendship having said that i think that you know what's happened with our sort of romanticizing of marriage where marriage has become all about falling in love that's the ideal that we've attached to it in the modern world i think that it's a good reminder when we ponder how the best marriages the healthiest marriages do actually have uh, elements of what we would call friendship I mean, think about, you know, what makes a healthy marriage is not trying to keep up those honeymoon feelings, because you can't do that. And and C.S. Lewis says this in his book. It's where a marriage uh, starts to take on some of the characteristics of a good friendship, where the married partners are engaged in common labor together, you know, common mission together. Um, I mean, this this is why, you know, many Christians would say, it's really best if you can marry someone who, who shares your Christian faith, because marriage is about journeying together toward the same goal. And having said that, I think I'd also want to say friendship can have, uh, if I can put it this way, this is kind of a dangerous way to put it, but I think it can have elements of spousal loyalty. I mean, one of the, one of the striking things about the way friends have described each other in, in the Christian tradition is they have talked about, like, we are wedded brothers, uh, that was that was one of the uh, ideas that Alan Bray explored in his in his book on friendship in, in the history of England. And, you know, the, these friendships could be solemnized. They could be friends could could make vows to each other and be buried together. And that that wasn't like a cover for homosexuality necessarily. It was just a way of saying, you know, this relationship is about much more than just sort of a common interest or a, or a. A shared project. You know, we actually are devoted to each other. We we have certain elements of the way married people would talk about their their vows till till death do us part. We have that in our friendship. So I think there's I think there's ways that the two relationships can kind of bleed into one another in terms of how we talk about them. Even though I would want to maintain theologically, you know, there's something there's something unique and precious about marriage that shouldn't be I think watered down or confused with other kinds of Christian love. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about the nuptial mystery, this, this <laughs> is sort of highfalutin theological language here. Um, so I apologize to our listeners, but, but if you think about the nuptial mystery being primarily in, in a Christian sense, this mystery of the love between Christ and the church, the icon of which is uh, husband and wife, there is a way in which friendship reflects a different aspect of that mystery. It's not the icon in the way that husband and wife or, uh, you know, uh, in the way that conjugal love, so to speak, would be, but in that it reflects the way in which Christ himself relates to his friends with the kind of open, you know, when he says, I call you friends, and there's this openness that comes with that. And so friendship really requires, I think, a kind of equality, if you will, almost different than what marriage requires. I think, obviously, there there has to be some level of equality in marriage, too, or else you you run off the rails. But really, you know, friendship requires a kind of ability for for you to be able to share your level of an experience. Yeah, it, it almost works backwards in a way. Um, you know, when you get married to somebody, you make promises that you have absolutely uh, no way of knowing how you're going to keep them, right? Like they're, <laughs> they're just, the, it's the community itself that supports you through that vow. I promise that I will be with you for life. Well, you know, I mean, I got married when I was 25. I don't know how long I'm going to live. But uh, but I can't imagine what it'll be like when I'm 85. I'm sure it'll be wonderful to be with my bride then. But you know, it's you you start with the promise at the front end, and then you grow back into it from there. Whereas I think friendship works almost in the inverse. You start with that, with the growth. Yeah. And before you realize it, you may not have ever made a promise, but you suddenly realize, wow, I'd do anything for this person. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah, I think it often, uh, C.S. Lewis says, friendship often begins with that moment. What? You too? I thought I was the only one who felt that way or cared about that. I mean, maybe this podcast is a good example. You know, you guys have a shared love of comic books. And for Lewis, it can be something even that that simple. You know, something that draws you out of yourself. Having kind of fleshed out this idea of, of friendship a little bit, which is, you know, I think pretty countercultural today. Um, in the way that we talk about and think about friendship. Let's talk a little bit about comics. Of course, comics is a pretty wide medium, although I think uh, we tend to reach into the superhero genre a lot. Father Kyle, do you have an example of a friendship in comics that you think has been particularly interesting? The one that jumps out on the top of my list is the relationship of Peter Parker and Harry Osborn. I think that's a, a wonderful reflection of friendship in the sense that they've really been put to the test as a um, blood brothers, let's say, right? I mean, Harry Osborn became the Green Goblin at one point in time, Peter Parker, Spider-Man's arch nemesis. You know, he's dated Mary Jane Watson, uh, (laughs) even at times when Peter Parker still had uh, deep interest in her. He's been very close to Peter's Aunt May. They've kind of had a relationship that's gone through a lot in the course of um, gosh, what is it now? 1962, 
they've weathered a lot and they've still stood through it. I mean, even today in the most recent issues of Spider-Man, Harry Osborn is working for Parker Industries and uh, is a devoted, not only employee, but a, a very devoted friend and wants to see Peter succeed in all that he does. So that's, that's kind of one that jumps out in my mind. Can I piggyback on that for a moment? I, I am a self-confessed armchair enthusiast, uh, amateur, but I, I don't know if you guys watched the, the recent Spider-Man Homecoming film uh, where Tom Holland plays a, a delightfully uh, younger Spider-Man and then what we've seen in recent films. And I was really struck by his relationship with his friend Ned in that film because Ned is sort of the one who knows Peter's secrets and loves him anyway, you know, who, who can see that he's, you know, not all that he presents himself to be to the world. And I mean, to me, that's quite a nice picture of what some of what I'm trying to say about friendship, which is that, you know, it's this relationship where you can actually let your guard down. You can be yourself. It's certainly, I think, modeled very deeply on on that relationship that Peter has with uh, with Harry. And I also think it's modeled quite a bit on the relationship that Miles Morales' Spider-Man has with Genki, um, yeah. you know, in the Ultimate Spider-Man comic. But yeah, it's a good good illustration. Uh, I thought about mentioning uh, Miles and, and, and Genki. Is it Genki or Gank? I think it's Genki, like Genki. in Arrested Development. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, um, I, think, I, think, I think Wes said it, um, you know, in connection with Peter and Ned, they have one of these childhood friendships that we were talking about earlier that are just like these guys will 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 be together uh, forever, and, and it's really touching in, in the Ultimate Spider-Man, Miles and, and his friend Genki. Spider-Man is notorious for having frenemies. Uh, frenemies is a term that we we haven't talked about, but like friends but also enemies. And Harry Osborn's kind of a frenemy, you know? I mean, he starts off as a friend, becomes an enemy. It's complicated. Peter Parker, who was the bane of his existence when he was in high school, but Flash Thompson. And Flash ends up being Peter's, like, closest friend when they're, when they're adults. I think that's a really interesting... Um, a really interesting journey from bully to best friend who would do anything for him the guy that he could rely on more than anybody especially when you see so many of peter parker's other friends become enemies there's also the human torch and spider-man they're frenemies you know they start off always fighting but then they end up becoming really close friends they're kind of an odd couple but two people that rely on each other and and often seek each other's help it's interesting that you that you point out that that sort of dichotomy uh father matt that sort of the way in which friendship can kind of spring out of almost people being at odds with each other and i I think sometimes particularly in fiction friendships that spark out of two people going in opposite directions but also kind of admiring the other person going in the opposite direction. So, like, one of the ones that I thought of that I find really interesting is the friendship between Jessica Jones and Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, which is really fascinating friendship because you you have these two women who both have these kind of powers, 
Granted, Jessica Jones' powers aren't aren't nearly as magnificent as uh, Carol Danvers, but they both have the they both have these powers that make them different from other people. And yet, Jessica Jones absolutely wants to run away from them. Doesn't really want to exercise them all that much. Certainly doesn't want to be a superhero. I mean, she you know she tries that out, tries it on for size, says no, nah, this this isn't me. Meanwhile, Carol Danvers becomes an Avenger and you know, really kind of becomes like the poster child for this is what you do when you have superpowers and want to be a superhero. And yet they become friends and I can, I I see, and maybe I'm just kind of reading between the lines, but I see a hint of that between the two of them where Jessica Jones, she doesn't want that life. And yet she kind of does a little bit. (laughs) Like she looks at Carol and goes, this is what life could have been. And I think Carol, in a similar way, looks at Jessica and thinks, this is what it would be like if I could fly under the radar. If I could uh, be uh, a little closer to the ground and, and not, not quite in this sort of big uh, superhero role that I've taken on. And it's actually something I think, as much as I really love the Netflix depiction of Jessica Jones and Patsy Walker, where they've they've made that the friendship instead of jessica jones and carol danvers and that's a great friendship and it's very interesting too but it it's missing that dynamic because patsy is not does not have powers so it's you know it kind of works on a different level you know another another friendship that i think is is, demonstrates this concept of uh, kind of almost like marital or familial loyalty is the relationship between Reed Richards and Ben Grimm. Mm. You know, it's a very complicated relationship. They're best friends. They're totally different. Ben Grimm is is this guy from, you know, Yancey Street, you know, and Reed Richards is, you know, a, 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 a scientist, brilliant kind of guy. They're very different, but they have this commitment to each other and then there's this there's this kind of mixed blessing of them being bombarded by cosmic rays, and, and they they both get powers together. And of course, um, Ben Grimm gets the worst side of it. He becomes a monster, and Reed Richards blames himself for it. Ben Grimm, you know, often blames Reed Richards for it. You know, it's it's a relationship that's that's often not very good i mean they they fight there's uh, bitterness between them but there's never kind of this sense like i'm gonna walk away from this they're they're in it together through thick and thin their family and, and and reed richards sort of devotes his life to trying to find a cure for ben Grimm, trying to change him back you know and, and it seems like he he's, he's figured it out like you know, a couple hundred times in the, in the history of the comic books. But, you know, I, I think that's that's a, a very... I mean, the Fantastic Four are a group of friends, but they're also family. Um, it kind of blurs the line between friendship and family. As oftentimes, friends become extended family members. I mean, Reed Richards' kids call Ben Grimm Uncle Ben, you know? Yeah, you put you put your finger on on something there, Father Matt, because that's very common today, isn't it? And I think about it even with my own friendships. You know that uh, to think of somebody who I'm friends with almost like a brother or a sister, and 
to be uncle somebody to your kids and there's almost this way in which we feel like in order to validate and I'm not saying that's bad any of that's bad but I do feel like there's there's something to that where we feel like we have to validate friendship as something a close friendship as something more than the casual thing we've been presented as friendship and so how do we do that well now your family because in our hierarchy in our heads family is a step above Although I think I agree with that completely, and I even kind of defend that a bit in my book, but I also think in sometimes the reverse can be true. Like we say, uh, you know, I, I've become so close to my brother that it's actually like we're best friends. Mm-hmm. So we recognize the need to say this isn't just a sibling relationship anymore. This has actually grown into a real friendship. So that, I, I'm I'm intrigued by that 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 the fact that we go both directions with that kind of language father kyle do you have another example uh that that's on your list you wanted to talk about yeah i guess i'll stay in the marvel realm and uh and and say that i think matt murdoch and foggy nelson's relationship is a is a wonderful depiction of friendship right of that deep sort of almost familial um connection that they have and i think that's accurately portrayed not only in the comic books but in the the netflix daredevil series as well Foggy sticks by Matt through everything. And Matt, even in, in Mark Wade's run on Daredevil, Matt stuck through with Foggy through his cancer battle with cancer. And, you know, it's a, very much a two-sided relationship. So I think that's, that's a great example of friendship. Although Matt's not always the easy guy to have a relationship with. No, not this at all. True. Not at all. But that's probably very true to life, right? I mean, even in some of the best friendships. Father Matt, do you have a DC example? Does, does Marvel just do friendship better? Um, there's <laughs> got, I, I, you know, the first DC example that I could think of, I mean, other than um, maybe, maybe Father Kyle will talk about Batman and Superman, but I think an interesting one is the Green Lantern and the Green Arrow. And in the Neil Adams uh, run, run on the characters, you know, where they go on this, like, cross-country, easy-rider-type road trip, you know, which they, you know, see the true face of America. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I think there's a good example of uh, people who are opposites politically finding something that transcends that deep divide. Uh, I mean, at least the way they pitch it in those old stories was... Green Lantern's sort of the conservative, like, establishment kind of guy. And the Green Arrow is, like, this hippie, radical, you know, not afraid to break the rules, not afraid to confront the system, you know, and he's always kind of poking at, at the Green Lantern and challenging him in, in a number of ways. And, and they're kind of, like, frenemies, too, I guess. Do you guys think, would, would Batman's relationship with Commissioner Gordon... Be an instance Ooh. of friendship. Yeah, that's a I was, good one. That was one I was thinking of. I, I think Batman's got a number of them. You know, I think Batman, certainly the one he has with Commissioner Gordon, as it's developed over the years in particular and kind of where it stands right now, it's certainly taken on that deep friendship angle. I think Batman's relationship with Alfred, yeah. uh, although it's often at times described as more of a father-son relationship with yeah. Alfred being the, fa- the surrogate father to Bruce Wayne, I think there's more of a friendship element that exists in that relationship. It's certainly not the um, 
you know, early days of Batman and Alfred, where it was very clear that Alfred was his bumbling servant, you know, at that time. But well, to go back to uh, Jonathan's point, you know, about equality and friendship, I think of the way Aylred of Riveau kind of pinpoints mutuality and reciprocity as really the heart of friendship. You know, I'm called to love everyone as a Christian. I have to love even my enemies. But that doesn't guarantee that there's going to be any kind of reciprocity with my enemies. You know, they may they may remain my enemies. And kind of the beautiful thing about friendship is that there is reciprocity. There is a return of love so that I can trust you and I can open my heart to you as you open your heart to me. And, and I think, I mean, think about, um, you know, Bruce Wayne and Alfred. There may be a kind of inequality of age and of, you know, maturity and wisdom or whatever else, but... Um, I think we all are familiar with father-son relationships that actually move into more of a, a mutuality mm-hmm. or reciprocity, where it becomes almost a friendship, you know, in spite of in spite of the fact that one of them is the son of the other. So maybe maybe there's a shade there of where a familial relationship becomes more of a friendship, or at least has elements of a friendship. Wait, are, yeah. are you saying this is blowing my mind? Are you saying that Bruce Wayne is Batman? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I should I should have prefaced that with a spoiler alert. Spoiler, <laughs> spoiler. Nobody who listens to the show knew that. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, thinking about friendships that work in comics, and then I'm also thinking about the ones that don't work with the sort of equality example that we've just talked about. And actually, I think a really great example of how friendship can go wrong when there is built-in inequalities is the friendship between Clint Barton and Kate Bishop, the two Hawkeyes, and uh, particularly in Matt Fraction's celebrated run on Hawkeye a a couple years ago. Here you have two characters bonded together by their their mutually uh, being involved in this sort of uh, heroing escapade, but they're, you know, he's much older than she is, there's a kind of, uh, even though they never actualize anything, there's a kind of sexual tension between them. And, you know, she is open and let me put everything on the table. And he is, I'm going to I'm gonna keep everything close to the vest and never tell you what I'm really thinking or feeling. And the result of it is that the friendship itself ends up kind of crashing and burning. Not that they're enemies necessarily, but that they just they just come to a point where they realize, you know, we can't keep being in each other's lives in the way that we thought we were going to be able to. So that that's one example. But I, I hasten to sort of throw on, and I was trying to think of a good sort of male-female friendship example. And uh, nothing actually like came to mind from comics. But the but the the similar example from the wider comic world uh, would be uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, who uh, you know are in each other's lives very clearly in a way that's not overstated. It's not a major plot point. They know each other well. Obviously, she's friends with his wife and knows his kids. And yet they don't play it up as this is a this is a sexual tension or this is something that's going to you know turn into something adulterous or whatever. It's um, it's just you know this is this is the kind of friendship that they have. Um, and I you know I, w- I wish I saw more examples of that kind of stuff in um, 
in fiction generally, uh, because I think those friendships exist. Yeah, I, I'm hard pressed to think of any sort of male female relationships as well. I mean, maybe the the closest that I could come to thinking of that would be some of the like post crisis uh, pre New Fifty Two era Superman Wonder Woman stuff before mm-hmm. they actually did try to romantically link them. I felt like the early stuff that John Byrne was doing, both with Superman and Wonder Woman, kind of entered into that category a little bit. They flirted a little bit with a romantic relationship, but then backed off of it and started to let the two of them develop as two people who were kind of unique in this world in terms of their possession of power, a certain level of power, uh, and their understanding of what it is to live as, as that kind of a human being. But I don't know that that was necessarily the strongest example there is of that kind of relationship. I think it's just, you know, I think it's just irresistible for writers to turn something like that romantic, especially in mm-hmm. comics where you you have an ongoing thing. So you've got a, what's the new thing that we've never tried before? Well, let's have them sleep together. We've never tried mm-hmm. that before. Um, you know, there's just this, it's this irresistible because like if the story is like they got together, they became really good buddies and that was it. You know, (laughs) most people don't really want to read that. But I do find that, you know, we have such confusion in our culture about sexuality and about friendship. And there is this need to sexualize everything. And so just a minute ago, thinking about the DC world, you know, one good example of an interesting friendship would have been the um, Harley Quinn Poison Ivy friendship. Which was very interesting right up to the moment that the current writers decided to make it a sexual relationship. What? Are you kidding? I didn't yeah. realize. No, they I mean now it's still a friendship, but it's sort of a uh friendship you know, with benefits. Friends with yeah. benefits kind of a thing. And it was like when they when he did that and it wasn't like you know, my reaction to that it wasn't like an ick factor or anything like that. I just yeah. looked at it and went, Well, you just took everything that was interesting about this friendship away from it. Because now it's just, you know, this thing that we do to satisfy our our needs. It's not, now, you know, not, obviously not every relationship that develops into a physical intimacy has to look like that in in fiction. But I feel like we just don't, this is the same thing that happens when people, you know, Father Kyle was talking earlier about David and Jonathan. Like, we just, we feel the need to like, because we don't know what an intimate relationship that's non-sexual looks like so we just assume (laughs) that anything that's that has some strong connection it must be uh, genital or else it doesn't count (laughs) yeah has uh, matt murdoch and uh, she hulk been romantically involved at all i don't think so so i that that was one example i was racking my brain and, and here you have the two of them are kind of, they have the law in common. Everybody knows Matt Murdock is a lawyer, but not everybody knows that She-Hulk is a lawyer. Well, she has kind of looked to him as sort of a mentor in, in her legal practice. And in the She-Hulk series, from time to time, she goes to Matt Murdock for advice. And, and they, have, they have kind of a cool relationship in, in that way. Yeah. But um, well, I'm just waiting for them to, to start dating. Yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, and I, I, if I ever do need a lawyer, I'd like She-Hawk to be my lawyer. I feel like that would be intimidating enough that <laughs> I, would win, I would win. 
So uh, there is much more that that we could say. I'm sure there's much more that you all in Listenerville could say. And I invite you to say it to us through uh, social media. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash God and Comics. And we're also on Twitter at God and Comics. So let's continue the conversation there. Uh, But for now, we're going to move into our final segment, This or That. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Huh? So we're gonna we're gonna do this or that, uh, but uh, Wes is not able to uh, to stay with us for that. But Wes, we're really glad that you were able to be be with us for the show uh, today, and uh, hope that you have a happy Thanksgiving. This will come out right before Thanksgiving, so uh, this is what you can listen to with your with your uh, uh, family uh, and friends uh, over turkey, because everybody <laughs> agrees on how wonderful this show is. So, <laughs> Thank you guys yeah. for having me. I, is, I, if you want to read more comics, is, is there anything you wanted to plug before you before you left? Well, I think you know this this little book that I mentioned by Ailred uh, called Spiritual Friendship is just <laughs> you know it's very stimulating and, and interesting. So it could be interesting for your listeners to read it and use some of its ideas to to look at comics. I've asked a lot of guests over these last couple years if there was something that they had that they wanted to plug. I believe you're the first person to plug an 11th century monk's book <laughs> rather than your I'm own. That as a badge of honor. So, there we go. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, guys. Right. Thank you. See you again. Father Kyle, you got some this or that for us? I do. All right. Uh, the first one tonight will go to Father Jonathan. And this is yours. Take it however you would like to take it. Captain Marvel or Captain Marvel? Uh, That's a tough choice, Father Kyle, but I think after careful consideration, I'm going to go with Captain Marvel. Now you need to flesh that out. What's thinking? What's the thinking? Uh, I'm going to I'm I'm going to go with uh, the one with the superpowers. Is that good? (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Carol Danvers, but I'm going to go with her as Shazam for some reason. Oh, there and Just, you know, just mix it up a little bit. Okay. okay. <laughs> There's so many Captain Marvel. I know, right? right? It's like a thing. On to Father Matt. He-Man or Skeletor? Skeletor, because uh, the villain's always more interesting than me. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I never... I've never read much He-Man or followed much He-Man with the cartoons. I sort of was aware of the toys growing up. Um, somebody recently told me this past week that Skeletor is like He-Man's uncle. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah. I, I don't remember. I mean, I was obsessed with it when I was a kid so much so that my first word, one of my first words was Skeletor. <laughs> when I when I was a small child, I used to walk around with the Skeletor figure and be like Skeletor Skeletor now listeners if you have not ever heard before our interview back last season with the comic book writer Brian Glass go back and at least listen to the this or that with him where he does a spot on impression of Skeletor it's really (laughs) it's really freaky how good he is at that Jonathan Mario or Luigi I always kind of had a, a, a more of a Luigi vibe. I think maybe just because I like green better. When my brother and I play.
played Super Mario Brothers, I was always Mario, and he was always Luigi because I was Matt and he was Luke. That makes uh, sense, yeah. So it just worked out that way. Now the question, Father Matt, is did this spill out into a front yard brawl like the Monopoly game? <laughs> no, not that I can remember. And I don't know what episode that was, but our listeners can listen back for that little gem from past the, seasons. Monopoly always ends in a fight. You want to destroy a friendship? Yeah. You know, we're on the topic of friendship. Play Monopoly. See, this is this is why new listeners can't get into God and comics because they have to listen to the whole back catalog. It's just it's the same problem yeah. people have getting into comics. You know, <laughs> the backstory is so complicated. We have to reboot our numbering. And That's listen. right. This will this has just become episode number one. Right. This is it right here. But someday it'll go back to legacy numbering. <laughs> All right, Father Jonathan, or former Father Jonathan, I should say, I guess. <laughs> pumpkin pie or apple pie? Oh, pumpkin pie. No question. Straight it's up. It's getting, getting to be that time, too. Father Matt, your choice is between two books in the New Testament, Romans or Hebrews. Oh, I, I mean, it both both uh, <laughs> highlights for me, but I, I'd probably say Romans. I mean, Romans is just, I mean, it, that's it's a book that, I, I come back to again and again and again, and it's just sort of it's it's Paul's magnum opus. Father, former Father Jonathan, <laughs> it gets you every time, doesn't it? It does. I'm like so trained. Lennon and McCartney, or Jagger and Richards. Lennon and McCartney. Father Matt, Ambridge, or anywhere else in the world. <laughs> Um, this one could have been for Wes, right? It was, it was. (laughs) Um, yeah, uh, probably anywhere else in the world. (laughs) I mean, not any, not anywhere else in the world, but like. There are places worse than Ambridge. There are certainly places worse than Ambridge. Ambridge is, it has its charms. I always, uh, Ambridge, by the way, for our listeners, is the small former steel town located outside of Pittsburgh where Trinity School for Ministry is located. Wes Hill, our guest today, is a professor at Trinity School for Ministry and both Kyle and I studied in seminary uh, at Trinity School for Ministry. Um, I always like the old economy village uh, and that whole section of Ambridge. Yeah. I, I'm really interested. I'm endlessly fascinated by the Harmonist, the Harmony Society, this utopian religious sect that founded the town up there. Look it up. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I think it the is. the correct answer to that question was New Haven. That's the correct answer. <laughs> All right. Jonathan, yours is this. You gotta choose between two books. Being a Contagious Christian by Bill Hybels or A Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren? I have not read either of those books, uh, which makes me not very qualified to pick between them. I have read The Purpose Driven Church, which I guess is close. So uh, I guess I'll go with the Rick Warren book. I mean, you know, I don't know. He seems like a nice man. 
I don't I don't have a whole lot theologically in common with him, but I don't, have you read either one of those books, Father Kyle? I have read both of them. You have one. Okay. One was required reading in seminary. That's being a contagious Christian, mm-hmm. and the other was um, was read when I was doing my field placement at a church. Oh wait, seminary. I have read being a contagious Christian. I just remembered that it was. Um, uh, gosh, Very memorable book. I yeah, shaped. clearly it had a, it shaped me <laughs> deeply. No, I just realized the first year I was out in in ministry. Uh, some church planner gave it to me and I read it and I think I'm still going to go with Rick Warren. I think that's the, <laughs> the upshot of that because I remembered it. I, I gave you a very difficult one. I will say that I am no fan of either book. The only thing that I remember from Rick Warren's book is that it is not about you, which is the opening line. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's the most quotable thing in it. <laughs> So that's well, my estimation. I, I thought that his book for dolphins was a lot better, personally. The por- yeah. the porpoise driven life. Did the you guys read that? Life. Yeah. Bum bum. <laughs> All right, Father Matt, Black Tom or Black Adam? Black Tom. Where's Black Tom from? Juggernaut's friend. Oh yeah, that's that's a deep reference. <laughs> yeah, I probably Black Adam. Jonathan, this one is for you. A swift I can't even say. A swift <laughs> kick in the head or a punch in the face. Mm, mm. These are good choices. I think my answer to that is going to be dependent on whether or not the person is wearing boots. Uh. Okay. That's a that's a huge determining factor. Somebody's got steel toe boots on. I don't want them kicking me in the head. But if we're talking about barefoot, and it's a swift kick, you know, um, you could survive it. I might I might be you know I might and plus who's doing it right? Like my five year old kicks me in the head all the time, uh, and it probably wouldn't be as bad as if uh, say uh, Chuck Norris. Uh, with one of his amazing, more powerful-than-life roundhouse kicks, you know, that would, my head would come clear off if if Chuck Norris kicked me in the head. Uh, So it's a complicated question. Yes. Uh, Father Matt, I'm looking for you to um, validate me on this question because we'll probably be listening to this uh, sometime around Thanksgiving when we're traveling to New Jersey, and my wife will be listening to this, and I want I want her to uh, hear that I'm not the only one here, so I'm hoping you answer this right. Bob Dylan's Christmas album, or Neil Diamond's Christmas album? Oh, I, it's, it's got to be Christmas in the heart, Bob Dylan's Christmas album. Yes, thank it's you. It's a stone-cold classic. Thank you. Thank it's you. not Christmas until you hear Bob Dylan sing in Excelsior's Day. That's right. <laughs> That's right. In Excelsior's yeah, Day. me for that album. And I said, it's not Christmas if I don't hear that. That's been a staple since 2009 in my you know what? I, I really think Bob Dylan should put out more albums of like Frank Sinatra standards. <laughs> this is like 
he hasn't done it like the last three volume set that he put out after the first two volumes. Yeah. You know, I don't think that horse has been sufficiently blessed. <laughs> I always felt like the, the, the cover that Bob Dylan has, and maybe he will one day, but the one that is really missing from his catalog is the Thong Song by Cisco. Like, if we could get Dylan, you know, just picture it. It's You don't, you, it's, need, to, you need to have the, they'll be on the bootleg series eventually. Dumps there like a go. truck, truck, truck. Eyes like, what, what, what? <laughs> You shake your butt, butt, butt. I think I'll see it again. When Jimmy (laughs) Kimmel did uh, Neil Young singing The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Mm. Mm. Well, that's going to do it for us today. I hope we're all still friends. Uh, You all out there in listener land, we've had a good time with this episode. Please do check out the website, will you, at godandcomics.com. If you go to the show page at godandcomics.com, you'll see links to a bunch of the rad stuff that we talked about on today's show, and you can give the program another listen while you're there. You can also subscribe to God and Comics through iTunes, and while you're on iTunes, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and a review, or just one or the other of those, we would really love you for it. Uh, It helps other people to find the show. Our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right this very moment, is by Father Paul Wheatley whose strict adherence to the Quaker religion, along with his eligibility for health insurance through his employer, makes him truly a friend with benefits. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Strauber. And we'll see you.